This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Jimmy Smith here closing out the week for the Luke Thomas Show. On today's edition of the Luke Thomas Show podcast, Cowboy Cerrone responded to fight fans accusing him of a fixed fight at UFC 246. We react to Dana White's announcement of Jorge Masvidal versus Kamaru Usman being targeted for International Fight Week. And I speak to ESPN senior writer Don Van Natta Jr. about the Super Bowl and the latest stories in sports. It's a Luke Thomas Show podcast, and it starts now. Cowboy Cerrone responding to critics, as he says, stupid allegations suggesting he took a dive versus Conor McGregor at UFC 246. What I'm looking at is bloodyelbow.com. Donald Cerrone suffered one of the worst losses of his career a few weeks ago at UFC 246. That night, the veteran lightweight in welterweight was defeated in under a minute by the returning Conor McGregor. Right? Unfortunately for Cerrone in the aftermath of UFC 246, talk of him losing to Conor on purpose has become popular among those wishing to troll him online. Cerrone recently responded to a troll peddling this rumor on his Instagram account. Take a dive, you stupid MFer, replied Cowboy. Who you think you're talking to? Get a effing life. You think that's funny? Question mark. You feel I'm the kind of man who would sell his soul? Do me a favor and unfollow me if that's how you feel. Uh, of course, Stephen A. Smith has... Kind of weighed in. He didn't say he took a dive. I want to make that very, very clear. He didn't say the fight was fixed. Smith said it looked like Cerrone, quote, gave up in the bout with McGregor. Since that utterance, there have been prolonged back, has been a prolonged back and forth between Smith and notables within the MMA community, including Joe Rogan, Conor McGregor, Chael Sonnen, and Nate Diaz. I got asked about this or had to deal with this all the time when I was in Bellator. All the time. These accusations of fix or the fight was was somebody threw a fight and all this stuff. I want to first thing I want to do is set the parameters here for what we call a fix. Now, Mike, will you be my judge here? Shoot. All right. I want you to, to, to say yay or nay on this. For the purposes of this discussion, a fix or a dive is an agreement by more than one party to fix the outcome of a fight. Before the fight begins. Do you agree with that definition of fix or dive? True. So, a fighter taking a shot and going, screw this, I'm out of here. Is that a dive or a fix? Say it one more time. Is a fighter just taking a good shot? They could get up and they don't. Right? They turtle up. You think they could probably get up and take more. They choose not to. Is that a fix? Nope, that's just a loss. That's just a loss, right? I'm not saying Cowboy gave up, but giving up, even if you believe he did, which some people do, isn't fixing a fight. You did not decide beforehand how the fight was going to work out. Best example I can think of, Evander Holyfield, Buster Douglas, right? Uppercut from a million miles away, beautiful timed right hand. Buster Douglas could have gotten up. Fairly clearly, he could have gotten up. He chose not to. Sonny listed rematch, rematch with Muhammad Ali, the famed phantom punch, the anchor punch. The punch really did hit. That was really a legit shot. I believe Sonny Liston could have gotten up. Now, there have always been rumors that fight was fixed. But the point is, the definition is not, oh, I gave up, could have fought, and decided not to. 
It's beforehand. You and some other party. This is an important detail. Some other party. Uh, a gangster who's betting on the fight, the promotion, and most of the, the people who believe in this theory point to the promotion, got together and said, you are going down in the first round, da-da-da-da-da. I want to set up a scenario for you, first off. Let's say Joe Rogan calls me and says, look, there's a bunch of money. They want us to do a professional grappling match, you and me. You know what? I don't want to go through a camp and cut the weight and do all this training, da-da-da. Let's, let's, just, let's just fix the fight, right? Let's just, do our, let's just go out there and we already know who's going to win. And let, let's, just, let's just fake it, make our money, and get out. Let's say I agree to that. Am I going to say, flying armbar me in 10 seconds so it looks like I've never done jujitsu in my life? Am I going to say, oh, just maul me? Just roll over me like a truck so it looks like I'm an incompetent fool. So I don't just lose, I look terrible. Is, is that really how you go out? If you, have, if you have any say over how it goes, and remember, if you fix the fight, you do, right? In this hypothetical situation. Because the, the thing that gets me is blowouts. It, you get that fight, that, that fix conspiracy going all over the internet, okay, is usually when a fight's a blowout. The last thing you would agree to if you're going to fix a fight is a blowout. You're not going to go out there and look like a punk, like you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm going to get knocked out by shoulder strikes. That's what I want to do. Sure, I'm not just going to lose. I'm going to throw one kick. It's not going to land, and I'm going to get the crap beat out of me in less than a minute. Because that'll really be great for my career. What would you do, Mike? Let me, let, let me throw a hypothesis at you. If you had to fix a fight, what would you have? You'd probably have a long fight. Back and forth, a couple rounds. Oh, then you fall for a submission. You look good. They look good. Oh, you got caught. Doesn't that make more sense, Mike? A lot more. I mean, you know what's funny? I, I didn't get any... Of this, and I don't believe it was a fix at all. But my point is, Chael Sonnen, Anderson Silva, that's how you fix a fight, right? You're beating him up. You're just, you're having a great fight. Oh, the last round, it's just, oh, halfway through, I got caught in a triangle. Damn it. What happens? Chael Sonnen got elevated. Anderson Silva got elevated. They made a ton of money on a rematch, right? The trash talk continues. It elevated both guys. Now, I'm not saying that uh, fight was fixed. I'm not saying that at all. My point is, that is how I would do it, right? I'm not going to say, yeah, blow me away in under a minute. Make me look like an idiot. Also, cast doubt on the fight. If you fix a fight, which I want to really restate here, is a felony. That is fraud. You will, A, never fight again. B, you will do time. Depending on lying for profit is fraud, right? That's it for you. Are you going to cast doubt on the fight by getting blown away in the first minute? Because any reasonable person involved in something like this would know that. That if it's a blowout, it's going to look bad. Everyone's going to think it's a fix. 
People are going to start asking questions I don't want to answer. Right? So that's the thing to me is that people cry fix in the fights that are least likely to be fixed. <laughs> yeah, don't just beat me. Blow me out of the water so I look like I don't know what's going on. I got that a ton with the Tito Chael fight. Do you think Chael would go, yeah, Tito, just kick my ass and beat me with a rear naked choke in the first round and don't let it go after I tap just to add a little more. Make me look like I don't know what I'm doing. No. No way you do that. You would fix a fight that would at least make you look good. You don't agree to a squash. <laughs> I've seen a lot of the kind of fights I was talking about with Buster Douglas and Evander Holyfield where somebody takes one. And a lot of it was the fighters who are past their prime. Rampage versus uh, uh, Fedor is a good example. Uh, Chael Tito is a good example. Rampage took a shot and went, screw this, man. Screw this. I am past my prime. I want my check. I am not going through the wars I used to go through when I was younger. They just aren't willing to do that. So that's a ridiculous thing to me. Is, is, is those fights, and I've seen a lot of those, people say it's fixed, you know, it was a work fight. No, they just don't want to take the beating they used to take. They take one, they go, screw this. Screw this, man. Like I said, I've, I've, I've talked about this before. I've talked to referees after fights who said, dude, this dude took one, looked at me and went, I'm out of here. And I stepped in and stopped the fight. Now, is that a fix or is that just, I'm an older fighter, I do not want to take this beating anymore. <laughs> There's a difference. If you see both of those things as the same, fair enough. You know, giving up is giving up, and whether you decide to do it before the fight or during the fight, it's it's still the same. I mean, I don't agree with you, but I, I get that's your opinion. But another thing you gotta keep in mind, the risk of a fix for a promotion is you will never promote a fight again. It is over for you. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. We have some audio, yes, of Dana White actually announcing Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal. Is that all ready to go, Mike? All ready. All right, let's hear it. Down here in Miami, we haven't had a fighter for Miami to embrace yet, you right. know? Now they got, I literally, since I got here, went to dinner last night, been walking around, everybody's yelling at me, when's Masvidal fighting in Miami? When's Masvidal fighting in Miami? What do you tell them? Not soon. <laughs> We're going to bring him to Vegas. So him and Usman will fight in Vegas, um, probably International Fight Week. And then um, if he wins, maybe we'll do his first title defense down here in Miami. Hmm. But is that, has, have you decided that? Is that how that's going to go? You're going to have those two guys fight there? Yeah, well, that, w that was always the plan. And then, uh, and then you know, whatever happened with them a couple days ago or yesterday or whenever that was, uh, yeah. We hadn't announced it yet, but now this has forced me to announce it. Very interesting in that 
the confrontation between those guys forced him to announce it. Uh, you know, do you think he just he just struck while the iron was hot? Like it was already made, but might as well announce it now that they've what gotten in an altercation. Do you believe that, Mike? Uh, it's possible. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that's why things were brewing between the two of them at at the, at the you know radio row, maybe because they already knew they kind of had a fight coming up, but then they started to talk trash to each other, and now you get all this heat and everybody's talking about it, so makes sense to kind of announce it. Uh, we'll take calls after the break about this. Uh, as always, one eight seven seven fight ninety three one eight seven seven three four 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 eight nine three. My thoughts on this fight. Uh, I, I'm of two minds about it. In that I don't think it's stylistically a good fight for Jorge Masvidal. For a couple of reasons. Number one is it's just Usman has a grinding wrestling style. Excellent boxing as well. He can knock you out. Ask Colby Covington. He has nice hands and they keep getting better. Um, But he's more of a grinding wrestler who takes the energy out of people. Uh, He wears you down, beats you up. It's not going to be an outside, pretty, stylistic, striking battle that Jorge Masvidal can really shine in. Now, the counterpoint a lot of fans have brought up that I'm sure a lot of fans will bring up now is, well, look what he did to Ben Askren. Ben Askren has an outside shooting tendency. If you watch Ben Askren all the way back to when he was wrestling at Missouri. Mike, did you watch him wrestle at Mizzou? I don't know if you watched. I've seen matches, but I didn't religiously watch him. I watched him. Dude, he was incredible. But he would always shoot from like halfway across the mat at his opponent, grab onto their pinky toe and take them down. That was his thing. If he could hang on to anything, he's going to get you. But what it led to was this really funky style of takedown where not a lot of setup tended to charge in from the outside, not a lot of clinching, not great at throwing typically, you know, better than most people, but that wasn't his bread and butter. Um, so stylistically, Ben Askren was the kind of guy, if you threw a flying knee, you'd probably catch him diving at your legs. Kamaru Usman does not wrestle that way. He just doesn't. He gets you usually in clinch position, leans on you, wears you down, then double leg, single leg, safe stuff from close range. It's hard to strike against a guy like that. It's hard to get your punches off. It's hard to throw anything powerful and catch him coming in. So... It's not an unwinnable fight for Jorge Masvidal. It might be ugly. He might have to weather some takedowns. He might have to be in some clinch positions. There might be some booing. It's not going to be slick and and technical and fast and all these things that I think Jorge Masvidal excels at. So I don't think it's a very sexy fight, stylistically speaking. But I don't think... He was going to get a title shot at 155. There are just too many guys in line. 170, although it's not a good style matchup, he could be capitalizing on the fact that, look, I can fight for a title right now. Win or lose, I still have some heat. I'll still get some good fights. It's kind of a strike while the iron's hot kind of mentality for Jorge Masvidal and the UFC, of course. But my issue is Jorge Masvidal has been win some, lose some, you know, more wins than losses, but, you know, his biggest win streak at the elite level is three. Um, he could go back and lose to somebody who was, you know, middle of the pack and then and start losing that momentum. I get the idea that, hey, why I'm, while I'm hot, while, as Dana White says, people are yelling at him on the street about Masvidal, 
get the biggest fight you can in terms of title shot and legacy because Conor McGregor is not available. He would rather fight Conor McGregor. It's a better style matchup for him. It's bigger money. There's going to be great trash talk. Da, 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 da. In, in taking Kamaru Usman, he's saying, and the UFC is saying, Conor didn't want that fight. Conor wants somebody else. We'll discuss all day who Conor could be fighting. But the implication is Conor didn't want it. So his second best in terms of legacy might be Kamaru Usman. I don't think it's as winnable of a fight, but it might be, hey, while I'm super hot, go for a belt. What do you think of that, Mike? Are, yeah. there, are, any, are, any, are any holes in my logic that you can see? No, it seems pretty solid. I mean, listen, he's got that BMF title belt, so you'll right. be able to do something with him even if he loses. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that out. If he lost both those, then you're in trouble. But, yeah, he can take the title shot. If he wins, a fight with anybody else becomes instantly bigger. You could do that Conor McGregor fight, depending on what you want to do. I, I kind of wonder what they're going to do with Conor now at this point. But uh, it's like, So let's say they have Conor face a Diaz fight. You could have him face Jorge Masvidal whether he wins or loses, no matter what. Right. So, yeah, if you're Jorge, you're sitting in, you're sitting in a good driver's seat right now. There's really no, a no-lose situation for you. Yeah, yeah. The good rule of thumb in the fight world is if you're going to miss, miss high, right? Miss high. Meaning, if you're going to lose, lose to the champ. Lose to somebody out of your weight class. Lose trying to win a double title, right? Miss up. Don't miss down. Don't take on a tune-up fight with some dangerous guy and lose, and then all your momentum goes out the window. I agree with your assessment. Now, let's just get on this just briefly, because it's kind of maybe fodder for another segment. We've kind of beat this to death this week anyway. Uh, what does this say about Connor's step forward? Because it's not going to be Jorge Masvidal, which is the fight I think made the most sense. I think that fight made the most sense for Connor. There are only really two options. Three, actually. But there's a reason I, I, I put that third one kind of distant. If he wants Khabib, right? Khabib has Ferguson. Khabib has Ramadan. Khabib will not be ready until late summer, early fall at the earliest. If Connor is serious about getting three fights this year, four fights this year, he can't wait that long. That means two fights in 2020, maybe. Maybe a year-end fight. Maybe he gets three. But waiting around for Khabib, and who knows how the Ferguson fight's going to go. Maybe it's, it's, it's definitely going to be a difficult fight. There's an injury, there's a suspension, then Ramadan. He might be out till the end of the year. Depend, you never know. So if Cal McGregor's serious about fighting regularly, Khabib's going to have to wait, would be his, his third fight of the year. And there's got to be one in the middle. Who does that leave? Justin Gaethje or Nate, uh, Nate Diaz? My money is Nate Diaz. My money is on a trilogy with Nate Diaz. It's the most winnable fight that is big money, that's big pay-per-view, that's available to him right now. I'm not saying Justin Gaethje, by the way, is an unwinnable fight. I think any stand-up striker, which is what Justin Gaethje is for the most part, uh, you got to watch out about Connor. He looked sharp. He looked accurate. He looked powerful. Anybody who stands up with Connor McGregor is going to have a, a problem. But I believe Nate, after the loss of Jorge Masvidal, long layoffs in between fights, generally speaking. This would be a comparatively quick turnaround for him, three fights in a row. Um, is the most winnable that, that makes sense in this, with these selections I've laid out. I think that one makes the most sense. Once again, Mike, you're, you're, you're my 
You're my sounding board for my logic. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've told you before. I thought they were going to make that trilogy fight. I thought that's kind of where things were tailing to. Um, I don't think Connor's going to be crazy enough to try to take on a Justin Gaethje and risk kind of everything. I think Diaz at 170 is a winnable fight. You keep it there. It's a trilogy fight that everybody's interested in. You win. You still have your options wide open at both 155 and 170. It seems like the best move to make. Uh, we'll see if that's uh, <laughs> if they can get Nate back to the table. We'll see if they, that that happens. But yeah, I think that's the most likely fight for Connor next. Here's here's my one caveat. My one caveat, as I just said, if you miss, miss up. Nate coming off a loss to Jorge Masvidal, um, long layoffs hasn't been that active. I think a loss to Nate limits his options a lot more than a loss to Masvidal or a loss to Gaethje. I just don't think he has the juice in terms of moving up the ladder that those other two fighters have. So I think a loss to Nate probably hurts him a bit more. The Luke Thomas Show is your one-stop destination for MMA. If you're in a UFC title fight and you get finished in the first round, yo, you lost. Sports. I cheer for loser teams. As well as pop culture and entertainment. No matter what Star Wars comes out, I'll just find a way to like it. No. The Luke Thomas Show, weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. On your home for combat sports. Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 and the Sirius XM app. Now included free for most subscribers. Coming up right now to talk uh, all things Super Bowl and maybe a couple other topics if he's so inclined. Senior ESPN writer and one hell of a Domino's player, Don Van Natta. How you doing, Don? Doing great, Jimmy. How's it going? <laughs> doing well. Doing well, man. Uh, if you're wondering about the familiarity, uh, full disclosure, he's my uncle by marriage. That's why he always calls into my show. Um, so, Don, Chiefs 49ers, what I've talked to to every fan this is my reaction. The, the reaction I get is, man, the Niners have the better team, but I'm really rooting for the Chiefs. They just couldn't get over the hump for years. Is that how most people see this matchup? There is. There is this nostalgia for the Chiefs, right? It's this perfect symmetry of timing. It's the NFL's 100th season. It's been 50 years since the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. There's a lot of nostalgia for Kansas City, Andy Reid, he's 61 years old. Finally, it's his turn. It's his time. People love Mahomes. But I'm with you, Jimmy. I'm leaning toward the 49ers. I just think this is a team that is so stacked. The rushing game, 235 yards, average yards per rush in the two playoff games is phenomenal. I'm going to take Kyle Shanahan over Andy Reid. And despite all the nostalgia, despite all the love for the Chiefs, I think the 49ers are the team to beat on Sunday. As a writer, as someone who covers this stuff for a living, how difficult is it to stay out of, as you said, you know, you got to look past the nostalgia. Oh, man, it'd be great to see Andy Reid get one, the Chiefs get one, it'd be great for them. How hard is it for you to kind of look past all that and, and look at the numbers and be uh, analytical about this when you're looking at these sports? Yeah, it, it, it's it's a uh, it's a challenge for sure. I mean, you you often are you know thinking with your with your heart, right? We often do that as NFL fans. I'm a Vikings fan since I was a baby, but um, but you know, when you look really at the numbers and you look at, at the analytics of this game, and it's two teams that are really innovators. I mean, it's really we're, we're seeing the future of the NFL in the Super Bowl, Jimmy. I mean, you know, there's so much about Mahomes and about the new quarterback that's mobile, a guy like him that can do so many things, uh, just him alone 
versus a team like the 49ers. You know, you'd think they're old school because they play the smash mouth, smash mouth football, but they actually, under, you know, Shanahan's tutelage, they are really an innovative team, too. The way they run the ball, the way they open up holes uh, is is phenomenal. So, you know, you look at that and you actually break it all down. And I look at all the numbers and all the analytics. I'm surprised that the Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point favorites. I would, I would have the 49ers at least a three-point favorite going into this game. Uh, when you look at and, – and, and I remember it. I'm, you remember it and I do – uh, the Marty Schottenheimer years for the Chiefs, right? It was gaudy regular season record, tanking in the playoffs. I remember one time he was called Marty, I hate January Schottenheimer. The Chiefs couldn't get it done in January. <laughs> I remember that nickname, I hate January. And so what is it to you? All the years you've covered sports, the team this year it was the Baltimore Ravens, gaudy record, couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Yep. The perennial, man, great regular season, can't quite get there. What is usually lacking in the teams that don't make it through the playoffs? Yeah, it's usually, I mean, it's obviously it's execution, but a big part of it too is coaching. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think the Ravens, as, as strong as they were this season, I just think the coaching let him down. And, you know, Shanahan for me is he's, he's the future genius, uh, boy genius of, of, of coaches. And this is his time, and it's Sandy Reed's time. And, uh, and, and oftentimes you just look at the, at the coaching staffs as well as the coordinators. And these are two stacked coaching staffs on both sides, of the, uh, on both sides between the Chiefs and the 49ers. And it really often comes down to coaching and uh, even more than execution. Who has the best game plan? And, and I keep going to Shanahan, Jimmy, because he's somebody, he's like this boy genius who always comes up with a new wrinkle. I've watched a lot of 49ers games this season. He's always surprising in, his, in the way the offensive side of the ball is called. And, you know, the way he has used Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, uh, and, and to say nothing about Jimmy G, uh, you know, they, they actually have a pretty strong passing game as well. Uh, so I think it really comes down to coaching, and I think we'll see the same thing on Sunday. Last year, the Rams made the Super Bowl with a very young coach, course falling to bill belichick this year we have andy reed kyle shanahan is there kind of a generational gap in terms of the coaching is there a real style difference between that old school andy reed and the kyle shanahan's can you see the difference in the in the in the the plays they call or is that overrated it might be a little bit overrated but um you know certainly uh i i think that shanahan is a great innovator but you know so is andy reed andy reed has built this offense around mahomes and and what they've done this year is is phenomenal. Andy Reid's a great coach. He had so many great years in Philadelphia. He's proven himself. He's just never been able to win the big one. Um, but yeah, there is there's certainly a generation gap. There, there are some younger coaches now coming up. They're much more analytics based than some of the uh, the the older coaches. So we're seeing that trend in the NFL. Um, but you know, again, Jimmy, I don't want to overstate it. I, I put a lot on the coaching staffs and, uh, and that's another reason why I think the 49ers are going to win on Sunday. I have a lot more faith in Shanahan, uh, and his coaching staff than I do in Andy Reid and his, as much as respect I have for Andy Reid. Uh, and I, and I have a lot, but I think that Shanahan is going to find a way to win. It's one of those things that, that I often say about promoters in the fight game is they're hardly ever neutral, meaning there's always somebody better for the UFC, for a particular promoter or a particular promotion to win to get to a Super Bowl. And one question I've always wanted to ask you is, is there, I don't want to say favoritism, but any hand-wringing in the NFL during the playoffs when it's 
God, we might have two minor market teams in the final. We might have the, 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 the teams without a broad fan base in the Super Bowl. Is there any hand-wringing in the playoffs because of these considerations when it comes to upper management in the NFL? Have you noticed any of that? I always wondered about that. Yes, there, there is. I mean, it's, it is said behind a closed door, of course, but uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, if the Titans had made the Super Bowl, there would not have been the same excitement at uh, 345 Park Avenue at NFL headquarters that there is now that the Chiefs are there. Um, I mean, there was a lot of hope, quite frankly, that it would be the Packers and the Chiefs um, in the NFL's 100th season. So, yes, a minor market uh, team is, is not something that's, uh, rooted for by some executives, um, uh, you know, again, quietly. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of fans that will see conspiracies and the way the referees call certain games. Uh, and and uh, there's all sorts of stuff on social media about that. Well, there's no way that uh, the NFL wants the Titans in the Super Bowl. So, you know, the refs are going to do everything to make sure that doesn't happen. I don't think that occurs. But certainly the NFL wants the marquee matchups. That puts uh, the most viewers at home tuning in. It puts uh, the most excitement in the, in the hype leading up to the game. Uh, and, and this is certainly one that they're very happy with. I mean, these are, this is really, I mean, intellectually, Jimmy, this is a great matchup, not just on paper. I mean, we're going to see two fantastic teams evenly matched according to the odds. Uh, facing off on Sunday night, and uh, and in NFL headquarters, they're very happy with this matchup. Now, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, Don, of course, you're the host of Backstory on ESPN, a phenomenal show. If you haven't checked it out, it is really amazing. Just as the title would suggest, Don kind of explores the backstory of some major uh, sports stories, great interviews, great archival footage. And one you just covered was the Black Sox scandal, Fixing the World Series, Shoeless Joe Jackson, barred for life uh, from playing in Major League Baseball. Also, Pete Rose, banned for life. Yesterday, we had Stanley Nelson, who is the director of the Michael Vick documentary that was on last night, 30 for 30 on ESPN. And I want to ask you, what we talked about yesterday, having talked to Stanley Nelson, it was about who gets forgiven and who doesn't. You've covered a lot of scandals in your time. And one of the things that always, you know is strange to me is when someone is allowed back in by the promotion or the organization and the fans, who gets let back in and who is it and who has a black mark forever in all the years you've covered these scandals, personal and professional, is there a common denominator? Is it something that gets people back in the fans, good graces, or is it kind of random chance? No, it's not really random chance. A lot of it is just, um, how much contrition is shown, how, how, what's the personality of the villain is, is often what carries the day. Look at A-Rod. A-Rod was a scoundrel for his role in the, in the steroids uh, crisis and everything that happened with him. There were tabloids in New York that said, just go about A-Rod. That was only like five years ago, four years ago, Jimmy. Look, look at how quickly A-Rod has bounced back a lot because he's likable. Uh, he, he did a contrition tour, and, and that was the way he rehabilitated himself. On the opposite side is Pete Rose, who for 15 years after being banned for life by Commissioner Bart Giamatti, denied that he ever bet on baseball, denied that he bet on the Cincinnati Reds. It wasn't until 2004 when he wrote a book that he finally admitted the truth that everybody knew since 1989 that he bet on the Reds and that he bet on baseball. And, you know, Rose is not a likable guy. 
He is uh, a, a guy that uh, has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, particularly at the very top of baseball's leadership. And, and so I think he's been his own worst enemy in not telling the truth in not really seeking the public's forgiveness um, as well as the commissioners, the, the, you know, the many commissioners forgiveness. And it's only been in recent years in the last few years. And, and in the interview I did with him last uh, summer in Las Vegas, where he really uh, opened up his heart. And, it, and I think is really trying to appeal to people and saying, look, 30 years has been enough. Uh, I've served punishment longer than some people who've been convicted of murder. And so now finally commissioner Manfred, you know, let me back into the fraternity of baseball. I don't know whether that's going to happen, um, but a lot of it depends, Jimmy, and just how these particular scoundrels and villains portray themselves with the public. I can tell you that it certainly seems like a lot of fans in baseball believe that Pete Rose should be forgiven and should be taken off the ineligible list and should be in the Hall of Fame. So uh, certainly I think as time has gone on, people have come around on Pete Rose. It remains to be seen whether Commissioner Manfred will ever, you know, take his cues from fans and uh, and do what a lot of fans want him to do, and that is take Pete Rose off the ineligible list. Is part of the issue when, you know, obviously talking about Michael Vick yesterday, um, betting on baseball and electrocuting a dog that loses in a fight don't seem like the same level of actual crime, but – one took place in baseball where Pete Rose lived. It had to do with the game. Do you think that has something to do with it, that we forgive more when it's outside of the game, but when you mess with the game itself, steroids, you talked about the steroid controversy, betting, cheating, do you think that stings longer? Do you think fans are less forgiving of that? I think they are. You know, it really comes down to the integrity of the game. And the, the question with Pete, on Pete Rose is whether or not his betting uh, for his team to win no evidence that he bet against the Reds uh, when he was player manager. Um, the question is whether or not, you know, that really messed with the integrity of the game. Did that affect the outcome of the game in the way that the guys who took steroids uh, changed the outcome of the game? Or even more recently, the sign-stealing scandal with the Astros and the Red Sox. These are two teams that won the World Series by using electronic means to steal signs. And so a lot of fans are, you know, using the scales of justice and they're comparing Pete Rose, who bet on his own team to win. Now, granted, illegally with illegal bookmakers, with a network of illegal bookmakers, comparing that to the steroids guys, to the sign stealing scandal and also to the Black Sox scandal. Those are eight players that took bribes, took money under the table to throw a World Series. And so a lot of people are saying proportionality here. Is, is, is not working. It, it, Pete Rose is being punished far worse than uh, not a single player, Jimmy, on the Astros is going to serve a single game suspension for their role in um, using electronic means to steal signs and win a World Series in 2017. So I think fans are saying, is that really fair to Pete Rose when they compare uh, what he did with what all of these other cheaters over the years in baseball have done? Now, you got to tell me, what's your next backstory about, and uh, when can we see it? So our next episode is going to debut this summer. Uh, we are focusing on ESPN's broadcast of The Decision, LeBron's uh, one-hour show in July of 2010 when he famously said he was going to take his talents to South Beach and join the Miami Heat, uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. We're doing a one-hour backstory of that particular show, how it came together, 
And then the legacy of that show, uh, what it meant for player empowerment. I mean, now you have NBA players, you know, basically deciding which teams they're going to play for. There are super teams all over the league. You know, look at Durant moving to the to Brooklyn Nets, and all all of the all of the ways that players have moved. Um, really, the seed of that we believe was uh, LeBron's decision uh, to go to Miami and create the super team. So we're doing an hour on that. It'll debut in early July, just a few days before the 10th anniversary uh, of the decision. It'll be on ESPN in prime time, I believe, on July 2nd uh, of this year, and we're really looking forward to it. Well, I hope you have a great Super Bowl. I know you're hobnobbing with all the famous people that you hang out with at ESPN, just partying. And I hope you have a great time doing it, Don. Thank you, Jimmy. It's always great (laughs) to be with you, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.